Hello, Darren. Hi. So how are you feeling? I'm fine. Okay. So you're over your cold? Uh, well, I'm back at the gym. I don't think I'm 100% over it. I'm still aware of some stuff going on, but it's really minor, and uh, and I'm back at the gym, so I feel okay. Very good. So do you have any topics you'd like to discuss this evening? Well, I have a quote <laughs> from a movie uh, that I just watched called Winter's Bone. Mm. And it's a... Well, anyway, the the line is spoken by it, it's about some mountain people, you know, in the I don't remember where, somewhere in Virginia, Virginia, you know, coal mining country or something basically. And um these really poor people that live there. And anyway, this one teenage girl when they're hurting for food and their neighbor uh has some, but Anyway, the line is, never ask for what ought to be offered. She's telling this to her younger brother, who wants to go ask them for the food. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's a that's just a beautiful thing to say. You know, I mean, unless, of course, you're, <laughs> you really need the food. <laughs> but to not ask for what should be offered, um, I don't know, that struck me as, as a, a good line. Hmm. And how how do you reflect on that line in particular? Um, for me personally, I guess it's a, a way of um, resisting the 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 part of me that wants to conform uh, to the civilization that I live in, because I really. Um, what can I say? A part of me just really, really thinks this society we live in is just almost bordering on sinful, (laughs) you know, and uh, to part... You mean heretic, like heretics in... No, I I mean sinful like in uh, morally corrupt, and that every member of this society that pays their taxes uh, that goes to work for people who you know like I work for this newspaper I don't know how many acres of trees uh, we chop down every month uh, to put those fucking papers out there and they're nothing but ad rags Mm -hmm. you know so uh, I mean I'm involved in it too (laughs) you know Mm. But but anyway, there are so many things. You know, it's like uh, like fund like how to spend tax money. You know, we fund wars, but we don't really fund science. And so, it's the, the, these kinds of things about uh, if people don't. You know, it's just if if you have to ask to do the for people to do the right thing, then that situation is so corrupt to begin with that that asking you may get a meal and it may work, but. I don't know. It, 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 it's just, it spoke to me when I heard it. Hmm. So when I think of those those ad rags, as you so eloquently put it, I think of small children, I think of gerbils, I think of birds, <laughs> I think of the use that yeah. those ad rags are probably having to keep countless, well, I mean, if people still, I don't know, people still shred newspaper for... Uh, I think most of them go directly into the trash can. 
You think so? I think a, a huge percentage of it, they people see it as some nuisance crap on their lawn and uh, throw it in the trash without even looking at it. That's what I'd do. <laughs> you know, if I want to learn anything somewhere, I'm certainly not going to read that piece of shit. But think about it in terms of a means to an end with regards to everything that you're doing. I mean, while... Oh, I do. I go to work. It pays my rent. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, but I'm just aware of the fact that, uh, you know, it's part of my being a whore <laughs> because I live in this kind of civilization that I have to do that. Or I don't have to do it. I choose to do it because I, I don't want to be homeless. Hmm. And you like the internet. You like having these kind of conversations. Yes, no, all of this stuff is. Yeah, I like I say, it's just uh, it's just taking a look at, at some aspects of our um, capitalist system. And again, it's broader than just capitalism. It's the whole the whole two thousand five thousand year ethos of Western culture. Certainly, but I think there's also something. I don't know. I, I, as you describe, I embraced the inner schmuck associated with this probably about a decade ago. And from our last conversation, the uh, copies of my emails arrived, and I was so emotionally disturbed by the latter <laughs> set that I actually shredded it. And if we had gerbils or what have you, they would have uh, enjoyed the wonderful, high-quality shredded paper that came out of that. With the toxic chemicals all over it. <laughs> yeah, the ink, man, is, is the most toxic shit in the world. I don't know. When was the last time you kept gerbils? I think they produce pretty toxic shit. <laughs> Never had a gerbil. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. They're like a rat with an afro. Um so, yeah, very good. No, I think part of, you know, these kind of practices are just part of, as you say, existing in this environment. Well, it's part of, again, when I see everything in terms of this metamorphosis model, it's just, you know, there's still a lot of caterpillar around, and if I'm going to do my work, I have to accommodate myself to the system that's here now. Certainly, certainly. So, from our last discussion, I reacquainted myself with uh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. With the view that I had experienced some of his stuff previously, but I need to be very clear. Did you read him or listen to him? I did both. Okay. Uh, I read him by actually going to a local Borders uh, that my wife and I frequent and um, flicking through the yeah. first few pages and the first and the last few pages of, I think it was called The New Universe, was that the name of his I, book? I haven't read anything of his. I've listened to a couple oh, okay. of readings of some okay. of his books, but I don't know the names of any of them. Right okay. So, because I wanted to get a perspective, I, I had had exposure to his work previously, but I wanted to get a clear perspective of where he sat in, in the kind of spectrum uh, of these kind of ideas. And the thing that interested me in particular about his book was the fact that he clearly didn't want to appeal to fundamentalist Christians or even... <laughs> no, even you can, yeah, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> so, so, no, it was fascinating, actually, because it gave me a sense of exactly how <laughs> he, he... And I had... I can't how, recall... Are you talking about uh, some a marketing... Or his image? Or, or, no, no, or I'm just talking about what he wrote about. He, he talks wrote, about okay. how old the earth is and these kind of things. And I thought, oh, okay. yeah, that's going to annoy the fundamentalist Christians instantly. Oh, so that, yeah. that's not a demographic that he's looking for. 
and it was great fun actually because this this you use terms like uh, the Eastern tradition, which I think is from my perspective anyway very much part of perhaps Southern California, but perhaps a particular time and place and space that you clearly have oh, very... Yeah, it was, there was among a certain segment of the California population in the 1960s and 70s, uh, Buddhism in particular, was in the air. Yeah, but it's a very unique form of Buddhism in particular. I mean, it's not... It's not the well, kind it of Buddhism. Any one form, yeah. It, it's a mishmash of all these different Tibetan but, uh, and Japanese well, and exactly. Chinese. You know, yeah. that's exactly the point that I'm making. That it yeah. is, in fact, something which is hybrid and in and of, of yeah. itself. It's not new. Something- it, it. I think it's it. It will replace Zen. I think, uh, and all of that shit. I think once religion is dead and those old ideas are dead, some of the fundamental concepts that they have and are articulated, I think, fairly well. Mm. Uh, once they get updated in the modern language, will actually be uh, the technology of consciousness that I'm expecting. Mm. It is that's a part in- of it. But, I mean, again, that's just a part of it. Yeah, it is very interesting because I think the the vessel that absorbs these kind of ideas is distinctly different if the vessel lives in Southern California versus, for example, rural Thailand. And oh, the yeah. thing... The thing that strikes me about the particular interpretation of the Eastern tradition is that it is really, well, I guess basically two modes, I mean, taken from Thailand, taken from Southern California, two very highly evolved coping strategies with basically particular hostility or, uh, you know, things that are are observable. I mean, my experience travelling through rural Thailand kind of gave me a keen sense, even though I could take myself out of the environment, that there was a a strange combination of immense beauty, immense hardship, and just people that, through sheer wit and tenacity, were able to struggle through all the paradoxes that, uh, that were presented them. And I think probably the same is true with regards to residents of your part of the world that have embraced what you describe as being the Eastern tradition, but they are two completely different worlds. Absolutely, I uh, I don't I, I don't concern I don't I'm, I certainly don't think of myself as a Buddhist, and I'm not. And I, although I'm interested in Asian culture and Japan more than others, probably, um, you know, I don't I don't look to any of that. I mean, I, I inhabit a couple of Zen, uh, you know, news groups. And most of these people are quoting all these, you know, sutras and and all this Buddhist stuff. And I just have no interest in that. Yeah. You know, I just don't care. I'm interested in trying to... Actually, I'd like to rewrite a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, in, in language that makes sense to a 20th century uh, Internet user. Mm-hmm. It's the whole notion of the small business. Yeah, <laughs> Showing my age. Yeah. It, is, it is the notion of the kind of intellectual smorgasbord that really is kind of quintessentially Southern California, well, California in general. But this, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting. So you've only listened to Totally Speak. I don't remember which, yeah, I mean, for the most part, uh, yes. I've heard probably, I don't know, tens of hours, anyway, Gosh. Of, of him, uh, you know, of recorded lectures that he's given. Yes. And, and, re- and a reading of one of the books, although I don't remember the name of it. Hmm. 
He certainly has a very calming... <laughs> calming. <laughs> That's a polite way to put it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't going to say comatose, but I mean... Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 sort of somnambulistic. Or, yeah, it, it's a, he's a peculiar fellow. <laughs> certainly. It was interesting because the description of of approaching people such as, as Eckhart Tolle with the vision of explaining to them how important, uh, not necessarily precise language, but debugged language would be to them to communicate oh, to another yeah. generation. Absolutely. That, that, that's, that's where I see Gendo, uh, you know, in, I keep, I, I almost dare not say it though, because since I have no credentials, but yeah, these, if his language, I mean, to me, when I listen to him, it's clear that he and I have had, similar experiences of some sort mm. but the way he talks about it is with the old language and although he, i get what he's talking about since i've actually had the experience so the language isn't quite so important but to a person who hasn't had the experience the language is all they have and although the way he talks works for me and, and works for a lot of people. I th and I think he'd agree. He, all, he says it all the time. Don't listen to what I'm saying. You know, don't believe this stuff. I mean, he says it, you know, a hundred times during a seminar that the language isn't what we're doing here. But still, he uses language very sloppily and people listen to him and, and he uses words like mind all the time, you know, which is just totally useless. But it's clear that he considers his language at every point. Oh, yes, he does, but he just he just doesn't know about this stuff. Just because you're enlightened doesn't make you any smarter so you or give you this. any more information. He simply probably hasn't thought about language on the level that I'm talking about. He's doing other things. He's been talking to people with the language that he had, and it's been working. It attracts lots of people. He's read books. He travels all over the world. He's doing great. Speaking to the people that have the language that he can speak to. Well, speaking to whoever it is that shows up. But I would assume, and from what I read from him and other people too, is that uh, you know most of the people who come to these seminars never actually get enlightened. What they do is they get turned on to Eckhart Tolle, you know, or Ken Wilber, or some other guru, and they become believers in in those people. And uh, that's not the point. Mm. So I guess this returns to the discussion last show associated with the notion that maybe being Eckhart Tolle is actually really good for Eckhart Tolle. And maybe... Well, I'm sure it is. <laughs> so the convincing of him of anything else really... It's, it's interesting because I well, think... But see, what, actually, you know, but you brought up an interesting point, uh, that there is somebody called Eckhart Tolle with an agenda and an ego. And I think uh, that there, that is there to some extent, but that, that is not what's running the show inside that system. So to talk about, you know, whether it's good for Eckhart Tolle, um, I'd love to have that conversation with him <laughs> and see how he handles that. That would be interesting. Because mm. that's one of the things he's, he's constantly saying is that the, the self that you think you are doesn't exist. It's a fiction. 
There's nothing there. Certainly. And when you so, get to that, that's, uh, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's an idea that's not that difficult to understand. But when you get it, or when when that overwhelms you, the realization of that, that, um, well, I don't know. Maybe it's psychosis. Maybe it's enlightenment. I don't know what, I don't know how to talk about it. But it's scary as hell to a lot of people. The fringes of it are anyway, because it means giving up your story. The interesting thing associated with exploring Todley's work, for me anyway, was to read his Wikipedia entry, which had clearly been very carefully trimmed and constructed. Uh-huh. But the thing that struck me through that was uh, the constant references to his appearance on Oprah Winfrey's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that may have been instrumental in him taking off. I don't know. Is that is that what it was? I mean, it was I, after yes. that he, he really <laughs> took off. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that strikes me about the phenomena that is Oprah Winfrey is that she talks to a relatively middle-class, educate, relatively educated housewife audience where they clearly have, I mean, this is, this is really the, well, it's now international, but it really is the U.S. middle class in some quite profound sense. Mm, yeah. And I guess these people, I mean, in, in having the act, I, when I was here actually in 1990, it was probably the only time that I've actually watched, I think on one other occasion with uh, an ex-girlfriend, I may have watched a good portion of Oprah's program. Uh-huh. But the thing that struck me in particular, my wife watches it occasionally, I would imagine. I'm not sure. I've if she seen watched it a couple times it. long, long ago when I had a television. Yeah. I'd actually and I seen think, it. Maybe. Yeah, I think it very much is um, very skillful marketing associated with a very specific demographic. So reading Tully in the Borders um, for, I don't know, a period of maybe 20 minutes as I kind of flipped through and got a sense a stronger sense of the man it occurred to me that these people both have a lot of reflective time on their hands uh, a certain amount of income either self-generated or generated by others for their um you know ability to maintain a, they, a they have the, the time to do what they want exactly yes. so his message is very well cultivated for these people and i guess my my cute kind of curious reflection i wonder if if Heron Stone for Housewives could actually be <laughs> a way in which you could expand this whole idea. Have you ever thought about well, that? Um, a long time ago. Yeah, I, I, I'm not interested in doing that, no. Oh, you see. No. Uh, I mean, if it, if it fell in my lap, and you know, it's just not something I'd pursue. Certainly. But, but if it showed up, um, if it could be useful, then I'd certainly consider it, yeah. But, I mean, just talking about percentage numbers alone and the ability yeah. for the, you know, the middle-class housewives the of America... The more people you can reach, it's just sales. I mean, the more people you can reach, the, the, the more the ones that you need to reach are going to get it. Yes. So I, it, that was the thing. And you've actually been perfectly into my next topic of conversation, <laughs> unless you want to spend more time with this one. And I'm more than happy to expand on this one. Well, uh, you know, actually, I, yeah, I do, because this is related to this subject. I, <laughs> I watched another movie. I've been watching, you know, maybe a, a few week, movies a week now. 
um, called Extraordinary Measures. Are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. No, well, simply, it's about uh, a researcher on some obscure disease and a salesman whose two kids have that disease. Uh-oh. And uh, the salesman getting together with the researcher and forming a, a company to uh, create a, uh, you know, a, a cure. Uh-huh. And um, but what was interesting, what what I took away from this again, it is something we've we've talked about a couple times, is um, um, how can I put it? Well, the, this researcher ha- really had the line on on how to cure this disease, but he wasn't getting any grants from the the you know universities. So the big deal was this guy came in and became his champion because he was a salesman and so, went out and started raising the capital to actually fund a company to for this guy to work in. And as I look and I, I realize that I actually have three I, I hate to use the word product. Projects maybe is a better you know the keyboard the ESL stuff and and the, the language Gendo stuff uh, the Gendo stuff is the most obscure and the smallest audience and of little potential really I think uh, for making money anyway the other two are both huge and and have uh, enormous social uh, effects too and but I'm just not the guy to be out front with this thing. I need a champion like, you know, like this researcher found this guy, this highly motivated guy who had the skills to put the whole thing together. And hmm. and I realized that, you know, I'm I simply don't have the skills or the desire to learn the skills uh to do all that stuff. You know. So when we talked about the piano specifically, yeah. we talked about the idea of you actually going and hanging out in various campuses and actually identifying who or where at least these sales folk associated with the piano specifically might be getting their latest ideas from and how you could actually build some kind of strategy from that kind of interaction in order to get yourself in front of the right kind of person yeah. uh, to work on the piano specifically. Uh, I don't remember us talking about it in quite that much detail, but um, that's well. That's one possibility. Uh, another one that's been coming to me is uh, is literally getting it in front of Ray Kurzweil, simply because that's where, in, in one of the ways he got he started that whole business. He was really the first guy that uh, that made a, a performance worthy synthesizer. And, you know, MIDI keyboards, and he—that he, was a big part of his early empire. Um, and he's got the wherewithal, and I—I I would think the vision. And I'm thinking, I just soon give it to him. I want to see the keyboard in the world, and I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't wait, you know, and looking for a plan to make it into a money maker for me. But uh, just find the right person and give it to them. Hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, certainly that was our, probably part of our discussion associated with the keyboard as well, was the sense that could this be something where, for example, if you released it open source in some fashion or in some way that, um, you know, the Internet yeah. or 
you know, it could go out to the yeah, I, yeah, I could just put it into the world, absolutely. And uh, and I'm thinking more and more about you know. In fact, I hadn't thought of that, but that's certainly a way to do it is to just publish it along with the drawings and photographs of the thing and the music notation system and just put it out there. Yes. Yeah. That's that's something to cons- is it uh, see there but again there's a part of me who says, you know, I still live in this capitalist economy and I'm still trying to figure out a way to make money on it. Well, the, the nature of open source is, and I mean, I argue both ways. Recently, I listened to my talk at Stanford um, just to get inspiration on, on other things. And the conversation associated with, well, how can you have all these ideas and yet you come here, you know, as the pauper talking about this stuff when really this is visionary research, why aren't you getting academically funded, all this kind of stuff. I think it's a it's a debate that you have with your ego, not a debate that you have with reality. I think there are, sorry, reality is not a term you like, um, uh, with uh, existence. Existence. Do you prefer existence? Uh, how about experience? Experience. Well, it's not really experience, it's the, because it's external to you, but I guess everything is experience. Okay, let's say experience. And I think this is the interesting thing with regards to open source is that there are so many internal paradoxes associated with what you describe, but the the experience is one of actually amazing small things that basically add up to what is still quite a coherent and quite a pleasant story. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend open source for everyone, but if you have, for example, my use of open source is primarily so no one can take away from me what I have developed. Mm-hmm. The nature of the work that I do is very intellectual property intense, and I have intellectual property contracts when I create stuff in mm-hmm. software. And uh, releasing Noble open source means that no one could take it away from me. They've tried. Uh, they have tried. Why would why would they take it away from you? I mean, if I was to do something like this uh, with the keyboard and the music notation system, mm-hmm. um, when you say nobody could take it away from me, okay. So here, let me let I mean, me what would like, take the Korg? Terms. What would prevent Korg or some other keyboard manufacturer from just simply manufacturing the things and selling them? Well. There are two ideas here. The first is that um, if you if you did a series of things like published it academically in some you know musical publication or uh, put it out in the uh, public domain in a particular fashion. What about copyright? A, is that related? That's to exactly this? my point. Okay, that's exactly. I, so I can certainly copyright the document. So, exactly. Okay. And you can you can you can copyright. Uh, well, you can. Uh, you can. Um, do what's I the need term? a patent? You don't need a patent. You could do a design patent, which is by far the cheapest and easiest form of patent to get. Well, again, it's not something I'm going to do. Some, that's going to. Well, no, it is. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is intrinsically something that you can do. Well, I, I mean, can arrange it. No, but it's not because I'm not going to spend the time to figure it out. I've got others. Do you have drawings? Do you have short, sketches? Yeah, yeah. So basically short. everything that you describe associated with actually creating this thing would then just, you just sweep that into that filing and it would just be filed. 
Okay, well, we can on, 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 we can talk about the details of that some other time. But yeah, Certainly. you're right. Okay. But I guess okay. Yeah. So in in my own experience with these things, the two experiences <clears throat> I've had are either people close to me that have tried to well profit from without any feedback to me associated with things that I've developed, or alternatively, the experience associated with Nirvana. It, all the Noble Ape stuff was originally called Nirvana. And then some ex-Microsoft guys decided that they actually liked that misspelling and started filing trademarks and doing a wide variety of other aggressive things and then tried to actually take the technology as well, which was quite curious since I had it both in, you know, both in publication and in industry and in commerce, uh, you know, all the, all the possible ticks associated with that. And, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've written about this in the past in terms of the kind of aggressive actions that, that individuals and corporations can take against you in these circumstances but at the end of the day noble ape exists because it's a li- it's it's like a living entity it's not just some technology it's continued to develop and evolve and maintain itself in this form now the example of the piano may be more interesting there may be technical improvements there may be all kinds of interactions there may be various ways in which you can you can maintain it in a similar way um, but I mean, certainly through my own experience, open source hasn't yielded riches or, you know, fame or even infamy. But it has <laughs> it has meant that, uh, you know, generations worth of students and engineers and technical people who are very akin to this kind of work know about it. And, you know, I have a certain amount of uh, street credibility, which yeah. doesn't actually create anything aside from the fact that. For example, where you are currently. Well, listen, I agree. There's there are separate issues. Whether you can get your ideas into the world mm-hmm. and uh, under the observation of people that you want to get to look at it, um, and the idea of making money. That's those are two separate issues. Certainly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, I I think there are many different methods for you to well, get. Well, I guess you know. I, I'm sorry, let me interrupt because I guess what I, I've only recently, probably in the last couple of weeks, come to consider the possibility of giving it away. I mean, that's something I hadn't really considered. I, you know, I'd been holding out for the idea that somebody would see this thing and uh, and put up the the funds necessary to turn it into a real product. The other thing that you could do is you could actually approach one of these universities, music schools or what have you, and say, would you be interested in doing a partnership associated with this stuff? I mean, in terms of students or workshopping or, I mean, I think there are a variety of things that are open to you, Aaron. do, Do schools have funds to do stuff like that? Certainly, if they have an existing electronic music program, they probably have more funds than you could imagine initially, and certainly they have PR and means of actually cultivating this. I mean, if you went to University of Southern California, for example, they have a long-standing relationship with Wired Magazine. I mean, you... USC. Ter- you know, you're right. USC also has a terrific music department. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, this is basically why I think probably mm, the universities are... a good idea. Go. Hold on. I want to write this down. <laughs> so, you mentioned that you go to the desert once a year. What time of the year do you go to the desert? Uh, December 21st, the winter solstice. Very good. I thought that was the case. Yeah. I can't remember whether I heard it or I just got a sense that if you were going to do something like go into the desert, it would be around that time. It's on, yeah, it's the real New Year. And how long do you spend out there? Just one night. Okay. 
Do you camp out there, or do you have a place that you go to? No, I camp out. I build. I bring a bunch of firewood, build a huge fire, and uh, sleep under the stars in the desert. Wonderful. Wonderful. And how long have you been doing this for? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I really don't know. <laughs> I guess it's been... I've gone out to Joshua Tree on and off for years, but never in any ritual sense. I just liked the place. So uh, I used to go out there once in a while uh, and spend the night under the stars just because that's something you don't get to do around L.A. very much, you know. Uh, And then somewhere around 20 years ago or something, uh, well, when I started my lunar calendar, and that's like 25, 26 years ago, when I started living according to the real universe as opposed to, you know, the Christian universe, um, I got the idea of, of you know, I've want, you know I, I also acknowledge the new moon every moon, okay? On the second sunset after the new moon is usually the first day you can actually go out and look in the west and see that tiny little crescent right after sunset. And that's part of the ritual is on those days to go out and look for the moon. And then it became obvious obvious to me that the the sun goes through its yearly cycle. And uh, winter solstice has always been the turnaround point for every culture I've ever become aware of. Uh, That is the, the new year. After uh, December 21st, the sun starts moving north again in the northern hemisphere, you know, and, uh, and the days start uh, getting longer. And this is something that you always do by yourself, or have you occasionally done it with others? Um, I think I've probably done it with others a couple times, but I go out there now by myself. I, I don't really have anything against anybody else coming. If somebody wanted to join me, I wouldn't object to it, but I just don't advertise it. No, I kind of had a sense, and I don't think I've ever heard you say it explicitly, but I kind of had a sense that you would do it at about that time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bad time to do it because a couple times I've been snowed on. <laughs> you know, the summer solstice would be a hell of a lot more convenient. Well, for some reasons, perhaps you probably couldn't build such a nice fire, I guess. But then again, yeah, and the night's short and it's hot. You know, so, I mean, you're screwed anyway you go. And you could go during one of the equinoxes, but, I mean, to me... I mean, the the new year begins on the solstice. That's it. That's the beginning of the, when the cycle starts again. So there's no getting around it. And also, I guess, part of seeing the stars is getting snowed on occasionally. Well, no, I usually leave if it's if it's going to snow. I'm not I'm not a masochist. I'm not out there to oh, okay. suffer. <laughs> I'm out there to have fun. And uh, a couple times I've been on on my way out there, and, and it's you know, and by the time I got up, because this is in the high desert. It's, of course, you know maybe twenty five hundred, three thousand feet. I don't know, but um, you know, on the way up, it started to snow, and I just turned around and went home. <laughs> yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> Do you go to exactly the same spot every year? Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, right. Very interesting. Very interesting. I'm, I'm getting to know that this rock pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good. No, I, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I thought, I'm sure Heron does it at this point. In Australia, the summer solstice is slightly it's coming up. Yeah, well, it's, no, well, summer solstice is coming up uh, on December 21st. Is it December 21st? It's, we always... Go ahead. 
Is it universally December 21st or yeah, is the moving? Thing? Yeah, it's just the only difference is that it's uh, your, you know, opposite seasons. But, yeah, it's still December 21st. It's a planetary phenomenon. It has to do with the axis, you know, the the axis of the Earth's rotation when that lines up with the sun, uh, with the North Pole pointing in, and that and that happens at a particular moment, you know, one second, four four fifteen and thirty seconds, you know, and uh, and then it's moved on. Yes. Yeah. For some reason, I thought the the sun was out of. Whack in Australia, but my brothers were well, saying it's out of, well. The the climate is is lags behind. Yeah, I mean, because summer, again, summer tech, you know, astronomically begins June twenty first, but everybody knows summer doesn't really get started till August. Certainly, you know, Certainly. that's when it gets hot. And again, we had a lot of heat. I mean, heat in the early part of uh, set or October, <laughs> you know, and it was record breaking heat. Mm. So it it does lag behind because of the oceans and, and a whole bunch of stuff. I, I guess I'm thinking more in terms of length of day in particular, but it could just be something that I'm recalling from my childhood because my brothers were born on June 21st, and that was mm. very much the winter solstice in Australia. Yeah, absolutely right. That's the, yeah. the, the the deepest, darkest day of winter. Yes, and there's a small child ragging up for, I think, probably the third time for these twins that were never getting born, I certainly remember it well. So, <laughs> very interesting, very interesting. Well, returning to the topic of advertising, I I can't even remember how this thing came up, but um, I've been looking at the Facebook ads that kind of scroll down for a wide variety of things. Yeah. And I thought, these ads are too eclectic. I've actually used it to find local bookstores. Local bookstores use it that I've never heard of, and I've discovered some through these Facebook ads that scroll along the side. So I wondered, what's the phenomenon associated with these things? I mean, most of the time I just find them annoying, but I have actually yeah. used them, and they are very tightly uh, filtered, uh, associated with likes and interests and things. I mean, you literally have to say that you're reading in Las Vegas in order to yeah. get this kind well, of but stuff. But that's pretty good, though. I mean, actually, if they can make them that relevant, like you said, you might actually look at one once in a while. I think it's you know. phenomenally interesting. So yeah. what I did was I put together a stone ape ad for Facebook. <laughs> and I paid the $30 for a month or whatever. Okay, so wait, wait a minute. So how does this work? You give them $30, and for one month, and then do you pick? Okay, so yeah, that's the question is, how does it decide who's going to see these? I pick all the demographics. I picked UK and US initially because there's been a kind of a, a, a undercurrent of anti-Australian sentiments spread through here. Or my family to receive any yeah. any more yeah. ire from people. So, um, so yeah, I, I was careful to say, and I think probably I'll focus it more tightly. Um, I mean, so now you're just saying you're focusing it. So anybody on Facebook? No, no, no. Let me finish. Let okay, me finish. Right. They, they were the first. They were the oh. top geographical yeah. picks that I did. Yeah. Okay. I think I picked. Um, I can't remember whether it was 18 to 35, but I made 35 the top boundary ah, just to test good. out some phenomena. Yeah. I'll bump it the other way to test out more. Yeah. Uh, philosophy, metaphysics, linguistics, obviously. Uh, I can't remember what else I put. Is specific. epistemology a choice? Epistemology was a choice, and I put that oh, in. good. And good, I put Terence McKenna as well. <laughs> so all these things, it wasn't, yeah. it was, these weren't exclusive. They had, they, if someone had put. Yeah, yeah, that list, and how big can that list be? That was, um, I think that exposed it to well more than a million people. Well, I, I mean, but can you add uh, 50 more terms? Oh, yes. Yeah. 
No, you can go as crazy as you okay. want. In fact, because like really, I can think place. probably there are lots of other yeah. terms. But here's the problem. Here's now. the problem. The, the more of these terms, the broader the group gets, and you're not really appealing to the inner potential Stone Ape listener. So anyway, well, I don't I, think you know that. Well, anyway, let me I mean, tell okay, let me explain again, it's the statistics. But okay, go on. Yeah. I've rolled the dice here and I've been rolling the dice for the past ten days odd with this okay. this whole thing. So um put it out initially. Oh the of course there are various games in the system that they have applied. So I filed it I think on a Friday evening and it wasn't approved until the Monday morning. They need a human to look at it to make sure you're not advertising <laughs> yeah. child pornography or something, yeah. I guess. Uh, the human approved it at 5 a.m. on a Monday morning. Now, the first hit was literally 5 a.m. Monday morning, our time, Pacific. So these are people going to work, not looking at anything on Facebook aside from, you know, who they're going out to lunch with or these kind of things. So as anticipated, the first... Well, it, it's a it's a bidding system. It's very curious. I remember I have Google AdSense. I, I have ad space on various websites. It actually pays for my hosting fees. Um, in fact, it pays me slightly better than the hosting. I get a check for $100 maybe every eight months through Google AdSense. And, you know, I can add, say I don't want these kind of ads and what have you, and it works out pretty well. Yeah. So I have a sense of the whole bidding thing, but basically I put in, I think... There are two options. Either you pay per click-through, which I really should have done, or you pay per 1,000 views. And you basically give a spectrum of price for 1,000 views. I think I put 30 to 50 cents or something like that just to experiment. The average sale price that we've been getting, I think, is about 20 cents. So that's how much they're selling me. Well, yeah, I'm completely thousand. lost okay. on this. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Okay, so let me let me take it slow then, Eric. Yeah. The you what you are paying for is a thousand impressions on a thousand different people's viewing of Facebook. Oh, okay, so literally, you're talking about uh, you're paying to, for one thousand people to see. Yes. This. Okay. But it's a, it's a bidding yeah. process. It's not a flat rate. So I nominated between. 30 and 50 cents for a thousand people. Oh, I see. But actually, oh, wait a minute. You're saying you're paying $30 for yes. this. But it's not, I mean, it's not, what I'm saying is for this campaign, which is what they call it, uh-huh. it's for, um, I think, a month or up to $30. It probably won't be $30 at the end of the month because they're not selling them for that much. But it's a campaign which I have limited at $30 at one end and a month in terms of time. Okay. And underlying this, there is a bidding structure where every day it's typically, well, I mean, I've had 10,000 uh, impression days so far. Um, so there have been days where it's been well more than 1,000 impressions, and it's not and a hard What do you thousand. mean by an impression? You mean an impression just shows the ad. Just to, like I'm looking at my page right now, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. four ads. Exactly. One uh, of those would be... Would, Okay. Uh, okay, I got you. Except you're on the Stone Act Facebook group, which immediately excludes you from actually seeing any of Stone oh, really? Act. Ah, yeah, okay. I specified that as well. Okay. So, um, so the experiment has been really quite interesting because it has shown that there is a, actually probably a cosmological constant associated with our discussions. <laughs> because without fail, without fail, no matter how many thousands of ads that go up associated with this here podcast that folks are listening to currently and you and I are discussing on live, 
it takes 10,000 of these impressions for one person to click through. <laughs> oh, really? How interesting. Well, I need to see this ad. What is it that, that they see? How, how many words are on the, on the mm-hmm. front there of this thing? Probably 20 words. And I think Read it to me. Do you have it I, there? I, I'm, I, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if I can actually get access to it now. It's become, <laughs> let, me just see, let me just see here, Heron, because I can probably appall you by how poor my ad was. Written at, late on a Friday evening. Let me just see if I can bring this up. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the art of writing titles, I mean, one of the things I did in my early days in Skype casting is I kept, I figured the only, the only purpose of the title, you know, and, and the words that people see is to get them in the room. It doesn't make one bit of difference what the hell they think it means. Yes. You know, yeah, I probably, I probably failed every possible copywriting. The whole yeah. thing is to get them to click in. They'll get soon enough whether they belong there or not. So let me, let me, uh, so actually, no, we've, we've improved. We've had 10 clicks through. Actually, the cosmic constant has changed. Uh-oh. It is now 8,000 to one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's not so bad, really. I mean, but anyway, go on. Let me see if I can actually open this. I think we, uh, you know, this is really good because now we can test. Let me help you rewrite this after you've done yours. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. So the ad says, and this is the first time I've seen it since Friday night. Is there a way for me to see it? I wish I could see it. It's just just got the Stone Ape logo. Let me actually, let me see if I can, let me get up the Flash stuff because I've got the Flash stuff blocked. Yeah, this would be interesting to, to let it run the way it is. We could, this could be a great little experiment in language here. I think so. I you think know, so. To see if we can significantly change. No, see what we got. Just stay with what you got now for one whole month, maybe, or one whole cycle, and see. Because apparently it's changed right dramatically. So an impression is basically assuring that is telling you that, it, like just like the four that I'm seeing. Actually, I only see three. And the fourth one is sort of cut off down at the bottom one, but I see the first three. Mm-hmm. And it looks like what there are no, there are only four on my page. Is that the limit? Per I page? think so. It's something like that. It's something like that. But it goes through the bidding process. So. Yeah. Well, so, you know, that says a lot of the. It's got a lot, a lot of the right words there, and it's got a right, the right attitude to throw in pianos out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, I mean. So. Um, it's probably still a little bit too logical and reasonable. I think by, so, yes. By my, I mean, Do you want to read it out the ad for the folks listening in? Oh, a, a long-format discussion on philosophy, linguistics, metaphysics, life, and occasionally pianos. Well, I, I, like I say, and you've been running it for how long now? Um, that's a very good question. Probably, I want to say a week. It could be, no, it's 10 days at least. Actually, no, that's not true. It's Monday through, what's today? Wednesday. So yeah, roughly 10 days. Okay. Anyway, so I'm looking at the, these statistics here, uh, for the 10th, the 7th through the 10th. And why does the number of impressions change? It's a bidding structure, so there's no exact number. Who's bid- I don't understand what you mean by bidding, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, well, I, I understand, understand going to an auction and bidding. Yeah. But I-, I think the idea is that you have how many tens of thousands of ads that these people are willing to say, and they all have they all have numbers associated with. So if you see CPM bid, I started at fifty cents. CPM just means a uh, thousand impressions. Uh, 
And well, how, why, how did you come to the the fifty cent figure? I mean, I divided it by. I didn't really. It was just they recommended, as they say, suggested bids twenty nine to forty four, and I thought, well, I might as well bid above. 44 with yeah. the view that I'm also putting up only $30 of my own money for this experiment. Yeah. So I thought I might as well bid above what they're recommending. Yeah, make so sure I you're on. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you, so you spent $30 for, oh, I haven't spent $30 yet. I've only spent 13. Well, but I mean, you pledged $30 exactly. or whatever yes. uh, <laughs> for a month for, Okay, thirty dollars for a month, and that's a thousand impressions a day for one. No, month. no, 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 no. As you can see, it's it's like five thousand, seven thousand, nine thousand impressions. On the seventh, there were nine thousand eight hundred twenty-two oh, impressions. Oh, so there were. Oh, okay, so based on your uh, words, uh, you know, search words or whatever the right word is, um, this placed your ad on 9,800 uh, screens on mm-hmm. the 7th. Mm-hmm. Okay, but only 5,000 on the 10th. And and the difference is what? Uh, my assumption is it's just the kind of people that are using Facebook at those particular times. Ah, that oh, and all these okay. other kind of things probably limit the number of people that ah. I can actually sell to. Ah, awesome. so, this, ah, so when you look at the statistics of this over a month, that'll be more apparent what, what's actually well, going on. Friday, Friday and Saturday are our best days for this campaign, so to speak. Uh-huh. And my feeling is that it fits in very well with people either anticipating the weekend or actually being on the first day of the weekend, yeah. perhaps having a bit of time on their hands and perhaps thinking, well, maybe we should listen to a podcast. We are talking literally here, folks, about 10 people out of uh, 80,000 odd people. So, I mean, that's the nature of our statistics that is based on in yeah. clicks through. And certainly if I was to do it again, you can pay rather than 1,000 impressions by individual clips. And I think it would be far... The cost-benefit is to actually pay... You see, this originally, this this model, which I've read more about, is designed for people that are running for political office or things where they want to get at least their face and their idea out there. Yeah. And what that's what we're doing fundamentally, because 80,000 people have seen the the monkey from some... T- Thai, well, but know, they probably honest. didn't. They they saw it, but they probably didn't know that they saw it. Well, that's exactly true yeah. because they saw yeah. it on the way to work or whatever way. Well, and well even question- normally when I'm on my Facebook, I mean, technically I'm seeing those ads, but yeah. uh, I I don't have any memory of what they are. Yeah. I mean, I say occasionally I do look over there, uh, but yeah. So the ah, you know, the logo is going to have to be really important. That's not a bad one, but that may not is. Are you? Can you put any artwork there at all? Yes. Okay, so you're not. You don't have to use the the logo for the podcast. No, I mean, what we need is an attractive woman wearing the Stone Ape podcast T-shirt or something like that. To... Uh, no, see, I see. That's the, those aren't the people I want to attract. Well, I don't know. The, the nerds who are interested, I don't know. I mean, look, I... Uh, I, I want clearly, something that uh, that will, like a, some sort of visual pun, you know, yeah. so, some uh, paradoxical figure or something that doesn't quite make sense or, or makes sense in more than one way. An ape balancing a piano on its tail, for example. Well, that would work, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm just talking off the top of my head here. I'm just, I'm just thinking. But I think it's a good idea to leave it the way it is for a month and see what's going on. 
Yeah. yeah. I think it's a fascinating experiment. I mean, yeah, really, I do too. For... The bad meal. That's that's my threshold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and plus this this is a, a, a real good learning experience. There's something to be learned here. Oh yes, very uh, much so. Very much so. And so, so you thought... can you can format this page so you can see. I mean, you can get good statistical analysis of this. Well, not ideal statistical analysis. The really interesting thing is when they actually pump the ads out. And certainly, if I were to do it again. I would tighten the time frames and only release it on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and only at very particular times. Ah. I mean, particularly once you focus it for North America, sure. you really do yeah. have a three-hour window of opportunity where you know roughly people are getting home from work, people are waking up on a Saturday morning wondering what they're yeah. going to do. Maybe they want to listen to a yeah. podcast. No, I mean, no, you're oh, right. That's great. That's Oh, yeah. That's good information. So, yeah, I think it's a fascinating process. I mean, it really has caught me by some prize in part because I thought it would be considerably more expensive. When I look at the second-hand bookstores and the, the local enterprises that I found through Facebook ads, it can't be that expensive. I mean, that's what got me into it. So, what's the word? And I can just play around with this thing and get a sense yeah. of it. Yeah. And when I can bid as well as $30, you know, $30 is a bad meal over a month. And it looks like I probably spend $30. I mean, looking at current amount up. Thirteen, fourteen. I probably will spend the threshold of thirty dollars to conclude it. Yeah, but I'll certainly have a lot of interesting data from that. Yeah, no, I think it's a, a, a valiant <laughs> shot. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see what what you're going to learn here, and and you know, and I've been thinking also of of doing some advertising here too myself you know i mean as part of the the gendo stuff but um you know i'm I'm not in a hurry to do that but this is a good place for me to learn too so yes i think in terms of just sheer focus facebook has a really good model currently they just need to uh, i mean i guess my choices i mean i've seen a lot of ads that i've just thought right on yeah. So obviously they know enough about me through my likes and interests yeah. that they can actually really well focus ads. Uh, um, although unfortunately, I think the recent uh, political thing that went <laughs> on, I was getting ads that clearly weren't particularly well focused. But of my actual interests, they are very good at focusing ads. Yeah, yeah, I've, I, I agree with you. They've. Uh... But again, I don't. They haven't been very effective with me, though. I must say, I've noticed that they were. I, I have noticed that they were focused. You know, that they were uh, often about music or about people that you know I've already mentioned. On, you know, in my information that I like those people, so I'm getting ads for various musicians. Uh, you know, and I thought, well, that's good. They're paying attention. <laughs> Certainly, certainly. But I thought it was an interesting experiment, and certainly I'll continue to uh, report back to the loyal Stonate listeners as to how this advertising campaign is going. And, and I think what is the point of, of the what is the point of this advertising campaign? What just to up the numbers of people listening to this? August, well, I think. Uh, I mean, for example, our, our having KMO on just completely pumped up the numbers. I mean, I think from having KMO on, and particularly because he talked about it very sympathetically. A lot of his listeners are already mechanophiles, and I think they probably found a discussion here. But having said that as well, uh, Jonathan Reinhardt, I'm not sure if you, you heard the most recent Stone Ape recording that I did with Jonathan Reinhardt. He is 
in many regards. Well, I mean, this is the interesting thing. I, I, have you heard the Jonathan Reinhardt no, I'm recording? No, I haven't. Uh, okay, so let me see if how I can describe Jonathan Reinhardt. Jonathan Reinhardt lives in Massachusetts. He's in his mid-twenties. He's just gotten married. Well, he's, he's done various things, like um, he's worked on Republican governor's campaigns, and it's pretty clear that he's a... You know, a Christian and has a, a very strong set of beliefs. He's also a war gamer, uh, which is an interesting thing, and this is how I knew him initially. But he is probably Stone Ape's strongest fan currently. <laughs> and I think this is actually the beauty of this format. That, uh, you know, we, we have through our discussions thought about what the ideal Stone Ape Lister would be, and we've been self-selected by a completely different individual. The poor guy shouldn't be listening to this. <laughs> He's just going to get in trouble. You know, if I was you, Buster, what's his name, right? What's his name? Jonathan. Jonathan. See, even a name. Yes. What's wrong with John? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, Jonathan. Well, you know... I have I have no idea what to say. I don't often get to speak to people directly. I, I never dawned on me that there were actually people listening to this stuff. Okay, I'm through. Go on. Anyway, so no, the combination of the KMO discussion, and also, I mean, out of the two of us, I seem to be the only one that actually mentions these recordings outside a, 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 in a general format. So, I mean, I certainly uh, point to a lot of people. In fact, truth be told, my own mother in recent conversation, asked me if she should be listening to Stone Ape. <laughs> so I, I said that she would get very annoyed with you. Um, with and me? That, uh, oh, yeah. Really? So, you think she would? She, you, are, you represent an archetype of a number of men that she has dated previously, <laughs> and I think she would find that very... <laughs> I got it. Activating. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, you represent a very strong archetype, Aaron. I, I think this, is, this is maybe something that you already embrace, but uh, no, so I, I made that point quite candidly to her that I thought... Uh, you know, I never thought about it in that way before. Uh, well, for a long time, I really sort of went out of my way to be obnoxious because it was the only way I could get people to quit bugging me, you know? Mm. And that and that worked, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then I just wanted to be myself. That was the idea, you know, is to just be me and not try to fit somebody else's idea of what I should be like. Um, and now I, I'm coming to the realization that I'm <laughs> can, that many people just see me as a really arrogant asshole. <laughs> and I may I may change that. We'll see. Hmm. I, you know, the, the talk about language monkeys and uh, homo sapiens and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, we've talked about this certainly pretty heavily last show. Yeah. But the only, the only post-mortem feedback, and I really, I, firstly, that whole show was just completely bizarre for me because basically every fifth word appeared to be out on my end to you and on your end to me. Hmm. So when I re-listened to the audio, I got quite frustrated in the process of recording that show. Did you listen to it, my audio? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. The fact thing was, it was like a completely different experience when I listened to your so audio. my audio is okay, as far as I know, right? 
No, I no, I was cut quite frequently through that because um, I haven't listened to it. Very, I just you know chopped off the end, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, no, I've listened to it multiple times because I had there were some very striking points where I just thought to myself, what has Heron heard? Like how what what's going on here? It was like there was there were literally three, and I said to this on the actual evening when you published the audio, I went back and listened to those three points because I just couldn't understand how we'd actually gotten to that point in the conversation. I thought Heron must be here, and it was true. In well, in the third case, I don't necessarily know if the audio was cut or if it was just a kind of continuation of motion, but there were certainly points where my audio was cut, and listening to it again. After the fact, I couldn't piece together my reactions in the audio that you heard either. So it was one of those surreal things. And, you know, my wife is very positive about me recording in that format in the future because it basically puts me in a kind of cocoon in the house and kind of surrounded in the library. But it was a really bad scene from my perspective in terms of both listening to and participating in the discussion. So when you start talking about the language monkeys and when you go through what you describe in terms of it being a start to something that will conclude with some insight, I went back and I think for folks listening episode number-wise, I think it was number seven, number nine, and number 12 I went back and listened to specifically because there were certain points there where you riffed on the language monkeys for a kind of extended period of time. And listening to those, the... The point of insight, which I think, and you're right, it's not in all circumstances, uh, but I guess I still feel the kind of emotional pushback element to it, which isn't you getting to the insight. The insight is, in fact, quite independent of that, what I describe as a linguistic mm. trance, basically. So that would be, I guess, my feedback, although I've heard more recent recordings where you've, you've gone on, on language monkey riffs well, Without let me tell you why I, or at least one of the reasons, one of, part of my thinking when I refer to that, because my sense is that often, and I, and I don't do just do this with you. I mean, I do it with everybody. It may, the problem here may be that you and I are having these ongoing discussions and, and, uh, and it, that may be appropriate me for, for me to act differently in these, but, but my sense is that most people, want to get into a story about some part of the system that doesn't work, something that's fucked up. And and it's my experience over the time has been that these discussions lead to no positive action. They just lead to whining about um about how fucked up things are. And mm. so so saying so really in, in part of my agenda on that is to dismiss the whole issue as a bunch of language monkeys and let's get on to talking about what we're going to do about it instead of how fucked up things are. Mm. So that's part of my thinking. But, but again, I use that as a strategy when I'm talking to people for the first time, especially, you know, because I do a lot of, I still do a lot of, not a lot, but I still do quite a bit first time discussions with people. Mm. And it sort of, it's a style that I've developed that works in that circumstance, but the fact that you're the only person I've ever d done anything like this uh, with. So it, maybe I need to rethink that strategy here. Hmm. I think that's, uh, that's a good insight. I mean, certainly that was my 
feeling of it as well. And I think it came out completely the wrong way in our last our last recorded conversation, mainly through audio difficulties and just something which kind of evolved in the kind of surreal space. I think perhaps your cold had something to do with it as well. Um, well, that's why no, I was, was something... still, yeah, screwed up that way. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you were complaining at the end of physical pain, which usually means that it's a pretty good cold, and it was probably the wrong evening to do a recording session on anyway. Um, yeah, that's all gone. Yeah, that, that, that I, I don't know what it was, but it, it was like every muscle of my body had some toxic substance in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's all gone now. So, boy, is that nice <laughs> to not have that. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm kind of feeling that way currently with a kind of, I don't even want to acknowledge it as being anything that's sufficient. I'll just have a, an early night and a good read and a, a bit of a sleep in tomorrow. But, yeah, it is funny, This returning to our original point of discussion, the notion of kind of embracing the schmuck nature of our current existences. I guess... Wait a minute, the, the other schmuck thing, nature of... You're talking about... Working for the man, you know, going okay, and doing okay, whatever okay, we yeah, do. The whole old... Yeah, okay, I got you. I just wanted to make sure we were... Certainly, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. all right, I got you. The, the second thing that came from our last discussion was this idea of telling stories and that we we spent enough time talking to one another that we both had some kind of predictive analysis associated with the <laughs> yeah, stories we'd have yeah, to tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're, you're in the kind of yada-yada phase associated with some of the, the yeah. stuff that I discuss. And I think... Let's, let, yeah, and we, I've run out of stories long ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's explore something here, because I think the, the positive element from our discussion from my own perspective has been with regards to my writing. And certainly we've talked quite a bit about your stuff as well in terms of using this in some kind of bizarre intellectual sparring match in order to get both of us producing things that we feel are, are beneficial. Uh, and certainly in my own view, I'm coming to the point where the writing, the, the teenage writing will actually get out to a general public. In parallel to this, I tried an experiment which I've described to you briefly associated with getting these emails that I wrote in 2000 to me. Right. And that was a very strange emotional experience because I realized over that period I was existing as a post-singular entity. Every part of my existence, aside from very brief face-to-face -face meetings, occurred over email. Yeah. And to read this in an almost stream of consciousness <laughs> fashion, in a very abstract sense, yeah. I found quite emotionally overwhelming. Really? And Go it ahead. was very strange to me because it was a sense of... Firstly, the context of the piano discussion that we had with the previous recording, because I thought what is happening with the archetype of the piano is exactly what is happening with regards to what happened to me in 2000. It's just a different set of players, but it's the same kind of abuse strategy, basically. And the overwhelming feeling that I got at the end of it was that this wasn't me, and this was the nature of shredding the text, finally, was just a sense of, and I've done this previously, I mean, I generated vast quantities of legal documents aside from just email and all this other stuff. And it was really quite a strange experience. And what I took from that was that this is clearly something that I should write on and reflect on. But initially, it's probably better for me to do what uh, KMO is doing currently and collect together uh, transcripts of the Biota podcasts and put them out in a very cheap, uh, cheap is the wrong term, very 
uh, cost-effective <laughs> means of getting this stuff out to academics and university students and a wide variety of folk that I've wanted to get information out to mm. for a number of years that may not necessarily be podcast-interested. But a way, I mean, the stuff that CreateSpace, for example, I mean, I've, I've used two um, companies, CreateSpace and Lulu, but CreateSpace really is the very cheapest possible way that you can publish online. And we're literally talking, you know, just a few bucks for, you know, hundreds of pages worth of stuff published. Yeah. So I thought in particular, the stuff that frustrates me with academic publishing, I've talked a bit about this through startup recordings previously, is the idea that you put so much effort in and then they charge 180 bucks for this, you know, 300 pages at most, which no one ever reads. And it goes on some reference yeah, yeah, shelf in half a dozen academic yeah. libraries. Yeah. It's complete crap. Yeah. No pub- publicity, absolutely no feedback from these publishers. And in parallel to this, I've had not even really well, with an Facebook, again, there's a perfect place. You can publish your book as on a PDF, on a downloadable PDF, and advertise it in Facebook. Certainly. <laughs> Certainly. No, exactly. Exactly. But in parallel to this, I had some discussion. I sent um, two proposals off to a publisher, an academic publisher, that was very sympathetic to them, although they said one of them said... Um, maybe you need to get someone involved who has a PhD as well. So I completely, I completely disregarded that. Anyway, well, no, that's their game. If you can get a PhD, they're cheap. There are plenty of PhDs. I can get a PhD, but the whole nature of it, I thought, was kind of well, it's bullshit. Yeah, right. it. yeah, but so again, anyway, like I said, there are plenty of PhDs working as way without question. Yeah, that <laughs> you can get real yeah, cheap. Yeah, yeah, Burger King. Yeah, anyway, so um, so I respect because they contacted me again. It had been nine months, and I just thought, well, I've completely forgotten about this. This is a like teaching artificial life to teachers for, you know, probably 10 through to early university students. Um, and the I sent back to them initially that I wanted very specific layout and cost issues. I didn't want something that was going to be $180, and I didn't want something that was going to be unattainable and they couldn't do anything within that and when i made reference to that they referred to that as demands that i had made and i thought at this point i'm just walking away from this yeah. conversation Goodbye. that's going over exactly no even need to respond so in parallel to this i thought this new publishing method that we have that is getting ever more cost efficient and ever more mass produced i mean creates but both CreateSpace and lulu will list you on amazon instantly yeah the difference with CreateSpace is that they will get your stuff printed and out to people in about three days yeah. because they're part of Amazon, whereas Lulu takes 10 days. So there's an appreciable time difference that people will notice. Even though artisanally, Lulu is a superior product, but CreateSpace just gets it out there fun. Yeah. So I think so now is the time. <laughs> well, I, I agree. I agree. But I think now is the time to start moving a lot of the stuff which exists in one form into another form and start experimenting as I've done with these donate ads on Facebook to see how productive it is because these are spaces that I don't really understand or know aside from the fact that I know that there's a whole lot of high-end gump that really isn't servicing the university markets currently. So this is an experiment. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I contacted um, probably 30-odd participants in the first 60-odd Biota Lives, and almost all of them responded instantly saying, we're on board. (laughs) Uh, Even with regards to me owning copyright, which I said to them, look, this is going to cost me some money in transcription, and also you have all these issues with regards to these publishing houses. If you have, like, 15 
copyright holders, it's just painful. And my anticipation is that I will make no money back on this, basically. And when you take into consideration transcription costs, it's just an experiment to see if there is yeah. a market, yeah. basically. So, um, though, I think... Um, but why does it even have to be, when you say a mark, why not just make them available? You know, I mean, if they're MP3 files, why not? Well, they are. They are no, they are available free. The, the purpose of KMO, I mean, I had this discussion, which you may recall, on, on a Stonehead recording with KMO, specifically about why would you put something in a book when it exists in a podcast form. And he said, there are people out there, and I know that there are academics out there that do not listen to podcasts. We've created well, a form. You know, they're not podcasts. They're MP3 files. You know, you okay. don't have to call them podcasts. Okay, okay. They don't <laughs> listen to irrespective of audio. That the audio is in. Yeah. They wouldn't listen to it because it's audio, whereas their eyes run down the page considerably ah. more frequently. Well, I understand. I'm not. No, I was. I I certainly don't see an audio file as any kind of substitute for a written text. I was exactly. talking about the difference between a PDF file and a and a printed text. Whether yeah. it's printed, whether you go to the trouble to chop down some trees and put toxic inks on the pages and put them in the mail and send it to somebody, or whether they download a PDF. Yeah. Well, there. There is a very interesting spread and a very interesting experiment, and that's certainly part of this as well. But basically, you have to have from the PDF to the toxic spectrum. Why? Because there was, well, because then you have statistical data. Once you've put it out there, and once you've said definitively, no one's actually buying the paper and the toxic ink, everyone's getting the PDF, then immediately the paper and the toxic ink can get eliminated. But unfortunately, initially, you need to see if anyone's actually willing to purchase the toxic ink, and then if they are, then you work out basically can you migrate them to the PDF? Or Why not always start with the PDF and see if that works, and then because and then offer the the paper. I mean, I don't I want to I don't want to say not offer the paper, but just offer <laughs> them both. Offer you can download it for free. Here's the PDF. That's exactly what you want. And that's what you're doing. Then you're saying that that's exactly my point. But basically. Full spectrum, ah, no okay. issue there. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. I'm just I interested. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm just interested in seeing if there are still, if there's still a market Wait, for me, the toxic. I want to get sure that, we're, that we're, I'm, I really get you straight. You're saying in what you're heading towards is they can download a free PDF or they can buy the paper book for money. I'm not sure if the I'm not sure if there is an ebook option that is free. I'm not sure through these. Enterprises, they have free ebook options. The other thing that I'm interested in doing is I'm interested in tracking. So, particularly because. Well, you can make people register to get it. You know, for free. Yeah, I know that's true. That's true. But I guess I want to minimize the. I don't want to be maintaining a website that has got this information in parallel to other things that I'm doing, basically. Mm. I want this to be as transparent as possible. Yeah, and right. I think some of that, unfortunately, is even for a nominal fee marketing that. And that also, even the nominal fee component means that that has some, the people are willing to spend, you know, 99 cents or whatever. Yeah. Well, because, if, yeah, if electronic books were 99 cents, I, I don't know how they get away with selling them for what they sell them for. I'm shocked well, that, that people pay the prices. Still, exactly. But, yeah, you still have the toxic ink, which is just, like, phenomenally expensive compared to what you get. And I think well, this no, is the, it's not. This, it's cheaper. I, I buy all my books used on Amazon, and I get them for five bucks. 
Yeah. Or less sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with in the used market as well. I mean, I think the, certainly the um, e-book market hasn't got a used system in place. <laughs> no. No, there's not but, much point in that, is there? I don't know, slightly bored e-book. Copy stains. <laughs> I scanned it, printed it, put copy stains on it, rescanned it, and now I'm going to send it to you. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's all part of a big experiment, Heron. And I think the, the interesting thing will be the statistics that come from it and whether there is actually an expanding potential with this, like whether we are just... I mean, as you say, with regards to free stuff, the free stuff exists in audio form, MP3 audio, call yeah. podcast, yeah. what you will. That's the free stuff. If you don't want that free stuff, then you can go Toxic Inc., PDF download. I mean, I've, I and others in the Biota community have already cited the Biota podcast. They're already well represented in terms of at least, at least half a dozen, if not more, uh, referenced papers. So I think basically they already exist in some kind of academic discourse, but just putting them in a physical form. And also, if you can get a book out to students for under $10 or even better, under $8, and then put them in university bookstores, which is what CreateSpace does, and then knock even more off the price. But that's, listen, that, God, that's, that is so over. <laughs> Your textbooks so. are all going to iPads. And, and so. tablets, yes. I what? think uh, in a couple of years, the academic press will no longer be on paper. I, it won't I, be long. I, I agree with you in part. I just want to get the hard data, as I'm getting currently with Stonate potential listeners. I think the hard data is what's going to be absolutely fascinating. What do you mean by hard data? I don't understand. You mean hard media or hard data? No, no, I'm talking about statistics. Like oh, oh, you put yeah, stuff sure, out yeah. there oh, and yeah, what is say, actually yeah. going on, you know? Well, the price is going to have to come down. Now, again, $15 e-books is a joke. Exactly. They ought to be, no. be a buck yeah. or less, <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, again, you see, this is the interesting thing. This is the whole notion of publishers agents, all the all the people taking their cut along well, the... Well, they're gone. Oh. They're history. That's the same with the record companies. They're all so, going to be gone. Well, they're going to have to go find still, a job at McDonald's or someplace. They're still getting their cut through even the e-book model, which is the problem. Well, right basically. now, yeah, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why we point. have to kill capitalism. <laughs> or, I don't know, I don't know, maybe radicalize or i don't know i don't know how what comes out of this i'm just interested in the experimenting <laughs> part so and i'm also really because uh, in terms of the you know near to free or well free fundamentally i'm interested in getting what has been up until now free information into academia in a fashion yeah. that they are actually receptive to it because you know i've been recording podcasts maybe well a similar length of time than you have and uh, you know well, some of the stuff are not yeah they're not going to they're, they're too time consuming yeah. i mean you know they're, they're just that's not i mean some there i'm sure there are individuals in academe who who you who listen to podcasts religiously yeah. you know but uh, you know there are a lot of people who don't you know yeah i mean i think a number of the academics who listen to biota live have actually appeared on biota live as well and i think there's an interesting relationship we had a fellow on the last recording in fact, actually, we had we had the last recording that's been released. The more recent recording, we had a fellow on called Eric Burton, who would make the perfect Stone Ape contributor. This is a fellow who um, you 
you're not um, you're not familiar with the trialogues as a form, are you? You've, I've referenced them a few times, but you're not familiar with the the actual participants. I, well, I mean, I know who they are, and I've I've listened to one or two of those uh, trialogues, and I, but I know who Rupert Sheldrake is. And yeah, Ralph okay. Fager. So this fellow this fellow has taken Rupert Sheldrake's ideas and created an artificial life simulation around it. His name's Eric Burton. Mm-hmm. He is an absolutely fascinating character. He's quite polarizing in the artificial life community. Because most people, well, I don't know whether most, I'm very sympathetic to the fellow. He is probably the first person who's openly smoked weed on Biota Live. <laughs> he basically, the editing of his stuff is absolutely fascinating because he, he, he talks like there's an A in the house and A, and it's occasionally he kind of coughs and splutters and it's all over the place. And I, I have a lot of sympathy for the fellow. I mean, not because I, you know, not because I'm a, a cannabis user in any way, shape or form. But because I see that we need to have a diverse and rich community, and the stuff that he's doing, I think, is really on the the fringes of artificial life, but I think will increasingly become more mainstream. The ideas of taking these quite radical things in, you know, aspects of the social sciences and fringe, you know, whatever, natural sciences, and then creating computer simulations around them, I think is exactly what artificial life is ideally suited for. Mm. Uh, and that is exactly what he's doing. He has led a very... He's, he's suffered very much for his art. I've never met the fellow. I've never even seen a photograph of the man. He has a, um, a small Facebook presence where he created a pseudonym uh, for himself, but I've not actually... I've tried to befriend the pseudonym, not have much like... He is quite an enigma in terms of what he actually is like, aside from the fact that, um, uh, you know, another BioLife participant has offered to meet the fellow but wasn't actually able to meet him. I think he's in Toronto from from memory. But anyway, he was on most recently, and I think he would be a fascinating Stonehead participant because he, he talks about offline the spirituality of artificial life and all this kind of quite radical stuff. Yeah, and sounds I think, like someone I'd like to have a conversation exactly. with. Yeah. So I introduced him to the Stone Act podcast in URL form alone. I'm not sure if he's going to get around to listening to it. He is very uh, focused uh, and, I mean, sometimes quite scatterbrained, but even through even his more heavy sessions on Biotolo, he, uh, he just comes out with this kind of stream of consciousness stuff, which I think is relatively on point, although sometimes it's completely <laughs> unfocused. <laughs> back in. So he was the most recent Biotolo out in audio form. I'm yet to put Eric's audio out because I've got to edit out a lot of serious coughing sessions and various other things that he puts in there. Um, was with a fellow who was a long-term listener, who is an academic, uh, and I think there are a few academics, at least, that I listen to by Lab. I know there are considerably more students. But even so, these ideas aren't getting out through this audio form alone, and that's part of my interest in this experimentation. Yeah. I have read KMO's book. He did send me a copy very thankfully, and I have read through it, and it is pretty hard going. The whole notion, and you have this own experience yourself with regards to editing the Five Stupidities text uh, from audio. Uh, the, the amount of time. Nightmare. Exactly. So <laughs> oh, this, this is the experience that I'm putting myself towards <laughs> in the near future as well. Um, but the stuff with KMO, I think the thing that strikes me first is very much my kind of increasing copy editing eye. Uh, associated with just little errors and little mistakes, which comes through self-publishing very easily. He's not using the direct print self-publishing model. He's got, um, excuse me, a company in Florida that has printed up a thousand copies for him that his listeners paid for. He went on. Um, what's the? There's a website where you can bid on various ideas. 
Um, I'm sure you've probably seen no. it. They float various sites. Actually, this would be an ideal website for you. I can't think yeah, what it's called. Yeah, give me a link to it. Uh, or... Anyway, it's it's in the KMO um, audio. So if you go back to the KMO chat, he actually talks about the site that he used. And it's quite well known for floating independent movies, comic books, uh, various writing, various art yeah. books. Yeah, so I want to ex- know about this. You can't give me a keyword or something. Um, I mean, look, it's, it's been a long week, and it's only Wednesday for me, Aaron. But um, if you go back through the KMO... It's funny, it's, uh, it's Saturday for me. How did that get... I'm just, never <laughs> yeah, my wife, my wife has similar uh, offset hours. But... Um, or offset days, more importantly... But anyway, so, yeah, it's a different model, but the thing that struck me is that there, there are a number of points that actually make sense for that kind of a discussion associated with getting this stuff out there. The other thing that has been curious is because we talked about September 11th, there is a fellow uh, who has been contacting me progressively about uh, 9-11 from a physics perspective, uh, and that is a kind of curious thing that's evolving. It's now just degenerated into him talking about his own experience with a with a gas jet uh, and various other things. So, but um, I'm pretty well out of stuff to talk about, Heron. What? <laughs> that, As I said, that, it's been a long week. abruptly. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week for me, and yeah, the headache, unfortunately, has returned, but I kind of avoided for... But if you have a topic, I'm sure we could kind of patter through it. No, I, I'm, I'm not interested in pattering through a, a subject <laughs> uh, with a guy who'd rather be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, raise a topic that will keep me enthralled, then, if you... Yeah, yeah, um, and nothing comes to mind, so apparently we're through. I guess so. I guess so. It's been another evening chatting, Karen. It has indeed. Uh, Talk to you next time. Always a pleasure. Take care.